0: So listen, this morning, if you could, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And, um, you know, these passages this morning uh, really have challenged me in a lot of ways. Um, it's, It's specifically for me and specifically what I hope for us as a church, that it challenges us in our approach in life and who Christ is and who we are as believers, and that it would call us to move from the middle to move from the middle. And, and so our title this morning of our text is Moving from the Middle. And, uh, and we're going to be primarily in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. But we're going to read that whole passage of Scripture. And so what, I, what I've just been thinking on this week is that as Christians, we love to live in indifference, right? We love to stand in the middle. We love to be on the fence because it allows us to avoid commitment. It allows us to avoid being too involved but to enjoy the benefits, right? We love to ride the fence. You know, we really, we love to do that in a lot of spaces. You know, I, I love in my, in my life, uh, as a parent, I love the word maybe, right? That middle ground, maybe, because it means a lot of different things. My kids have learned that the word maybe usually means no, but it, it's a good middle ground, right? It's a good fence. I like to ride it because it, it may be yes, and it may be no, and what it does is it defers everything for a little bit of time and allows me some time to think. Okay. And so we, we love that, you know, in reality, that's why we like, and you know, if, in taking standardized tests, that's why when we guess, we guess C, right? We get, or guess B. We like to guess the middle answers. If you're honest, when, I know for me, when I would do a lot of guessing in nursing school, I, I, I didn't ever guess A or D. Usually it was B or C. I don't know what it was just about the middle feels comfortable in my guessing, in my uncertainty, I'm going to stick in the middle. And so for us, you know, as we, we think about the middle ground, that we never have to face the consequences of being wrong if we, fa- if we stay in the middle ground. We play the fence in the situation in our lives. And we never experience the work of truly being a part. But we also miss the opportunity to enjoy when it goes right and to enjoy the victory of playing the game. Because the reality is kind of the revelation that God just really just challenged me even with this week is that playing the middle robs us of experiential joy and blessings. Playing the middle robs us of truly experiencing God's goodness by living in faith, walking in faith, stepping out of the middle ground and committing ourselves, laying ourselves out there before the Lord. All cards on the table. God, this is what I want. I see what you want me to do. And I'm going to follow you in that. And so we're going to read together Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 down to verses 33. And like I said, we're going to kind of focus in on verse 30. But I want to see the whole situation kind of lay a little context and then we'll get into what we have this morning, starting in verse 22 says, then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and healed and he healed him. Talking about Jesus healed him. So that the man spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only belzebul the prince of demons. This is just another word, uh, name for Satan. Uh, the prince of demons that this man casts out demons. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he, divide, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons as Beelzebub, by whom do, do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Verse 30, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. So the first thing that I want us to see this morning kind of really lay in the context. So what Jesus is doing here, Jesus is kind of at the climax of proving himself amongst the people and they're challenging him. Okay, Jesus is doing work among people. He's casting out demons. He's doing all these things. And so what they're doing is they're trying to discredit Jesus. And they say, well, Jesus is doing these things by the spirit of the devil, basically, by the spirit of Satan. And so Jesus, being just the awesome, just mind uh, above all minds that he is, says in a very obvious way, how can a kingdom stand if it's against the self? If the demon is of Satan and I am of Satan and I'm casting the demon out, How is that kingdom gonna stand? And so he takes that opportunity and he begins to kind of shift it back towards his kingdom. And he says, if I am of the spirit of God, then the kingdom is here now, which is a beautiful picture for us to realize that when the work of Christ, the work of the spirit is among us, we are working in kingdom work. We are working in the kingdom here and now. And so he is telling them here that there is a kingdom here now. And then he lays out that verse where he says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. And then transitioning into, as he's laying out how we work, how we move, how we're motivated, how we live out the Christian life, in our, and, and how he himself is doing work, paints a picture for us that we can learn from when he says this, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Church, what he's making very clear right here is that there's only two sides. That there's no middle. That there's no middle. And that we'll see these three paths that he lays out right here in verse 30. He says that if you're not with me, you're against me. And that he says if you're not gathering with me, then you're scattering, which would be against. And it would be inferred that the other plan is that you are with me and gathering. So he lays out these three plans, but what he really shows, drawing a line in the sand, says there's really only one way or the other. He says you're either with me, and you're gathering with me, or you're not with me, and you're against me, or you say you're with me, but you're scattering. You're doing the same work as the other side. And so what he's telling us is that there is no middle ground as a Christian, that there is no middle ground for me to stay in. There is no fence for me to ride. That he tells us that there is no middle ground, that there is no place of indifference or living on the fence for the Christian. And so he tells us not only in a Christian life, but I I, I love and and it, it can be challenging for us to even bring our minds to this point. But all throughout the Bible, there's even points where he would tell us, if you don't believe, say you don't believe. I mean, in a very common verse, Revelation 3.15, he said, I would rather that you would either be hot or cold. And so what it calls us to do as as people, as human beings, is to evaluate the state of our belief. First off, evaluate the state of our belief. Do we not believe? Then God says, then don't believe. He says it is worse to say that you believe and not truly believe than to not believe. Because what he can do is he can take the unbelief and work with that. He's asking us to clean the slate and and just be honest about where we doubt, where we fall short, where we don't believe. Which is very opposite sometimes of what churches want you to do. Church, what you're supposed to believe. You have to believe. You don't doubt anything. You don't have any questions. You just put on a straight face like you believe in everything. And what he's telling us here is, no, if you don't believe, lay it out there. You don't believe. Because God says He will work with that. That will allow us to be more receptive. Because even in, in, in you, if you look in the scope of people who are dealing with addictions, who are dealing with uh, different things in their life that they're trying to get over, every step process you look at always starts with acknowledgement and awareness. And so for us, to be able to take steps in the Lord, we have to honestly evaluate the state of our belief and be on one side or the other. Do I believe or do I not believe? Based off of what I think, what I know, how I act. Do I believe or don't I believe? And this is a very important place for us to come. Because what he's doing is he's calling us out of this, this no man's land. Okay, he's calling us out of this no man's land. And, you know, this idea of a no man's land just kept coming to my mind. So I, I, I researched it. And, you know, one of the most common places that you see talked about a, a no man's land is... is specifically back in World War I was a lot of the stuff that I was kind of looking at and no man's land was this area this group of trenches that laid in between opposing armies okay it was this 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 collection of trenches in right in the middle and uh, and, and this is typically being a place that is that was indeterm- indeterminate it was not determined it was undefined it was an ungoverned place And this place was being a place that you were not contributing to your allies if you were there. And this was a place typically contaminated in this time with chemical weapons of war. This was the most saturated place of the chemical weapons. So this was the worst place to be. But in a lot of ways, it could be the only place that you could be if you wanted to hide or if you, if you were injured. And so a lot of people would, would stay in this area. But it was not a place of participatory action. If you were in the no man's land in this war, you were either dead, wounded, or a coward. And so for us as a Christian or even as an unbeliever, being very honest, all cards on the table where we are, I just don't believe that. I have trouble believing that there is a man named Jesus that came and lived and died for my sins that rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven to sit on the right hand of the Father. I just have trouble truly believing that that's real. And so what he calls us to is calls us to not live in no man's land because the no man's land, as a believer or an unbeliever, confines us to indifference, to not participating in the forward motion of the cause. So as a Christian, that is the worst place that we can be. And I love how C.S. Lewis says this. He says, a moderated religion is as good as no religion at all. He says, approaching Christianity moderately is as bad as no Christianity at all. And that's what Jesus is telling us here and what we're going to get into. The first point this morning is that we can really understand the scattering. What does it mean to scatter? What does that look like? Because he says here, and I'll read the verse again, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So the word scatter here means to be driven away, to fly in every direction, pushing away directionlessly, away from where they need to be. A pushing away, A driving away. And so, you know, for us to kind of understand, I wanted to break this into two parts. There's two ways that I believe that we scatter. There's two ways I believe we scatter. That's in defiance or that's in indifference. Okay, and defiance being more of an active scattering that we are actively rebelling against God. We're actively pushing people away from Him. And indifference being more of a passive scattering being more of a passive scattering. You know? And so the first point, the first part being defiance, that you are working directly against kingdom work. Jeremiah 9, 6 says this, that you're heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Job 15, 35, they conceive trouble and give birth to evil and their womb prepares deceit. And Proverbs eleven seventeen. 17 an evil man seeks only rebellion. This is a person that could care less about God. And in, in most ways in our culture, they just, they just hate the idea of a moral being that would hold me morally accountable for anything. You know, I, some of the apologists that I listen to, the question that they ask atheists agnostics people as they tell them they say well answer me this one question we're trying to have like a legitimate argument or, or discussion about uh, faith and religion answer me this one question if Christianity were true would you believe it and he said the honest answer is most of them say no if it were true I wouldn't believe it which just shows that most people's approach is irrational they don't want to believe they're in rebellion because they're angry with God. They're angry with this deity that they don't believe in. They, they're angry with anyone who would try to hold me morally accountable to anything. And so this is the act of rebellion. That, that, that the irrational, if it were true, I still wouldn't believe it because I don't like the idea of a God that holds me accountable. And so there's just this defiance. I just push against it. I push it away from me. I don't want anything to do with it. And then the second way that we scatter, which I think is... is the most dangerous, and I believe that it's the one that we as Christians fall victim to the most. And it's indifference. Mark 8.35 For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You know, I, believe, I truly believe with all my heart that indifference is usually the product of selfishness. That as a a Christian, we get so focused inwardly, we get so fixated on ourselves that we begin to act indifferently towards God, we begin to act indifferently towards what He's called us to, and then it affects the people around us. Because in, in reality, you know, as, as people, uh, as Christians, if we are living indifferently and focused inwardly at ourselves, then we are leaving people, the people around us, the Christians around us, the, the weak, the hurting, the people that need us. We're leaving them to the attacks of the enemy as we lie in the no man's land as the ba- battle rages around us. As the battle rages around us. And I love this verse in John ten twelve. He says, He who is a hard hand and not a shepherd, which i believe is talking about everybody not just shepherds or pastors but talking about everybody who is who can be responsible in a christian loving way for other believers he says he who is the hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them in their indifference it says that the the sheep were captured and scattered Attacked by the enemy and thrown out on their own. Luke six, forty-four through forty-six. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, and nor grapes picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I mean, honestly, as people look at us as believers, and, and, and I want you to hear me as I say this. This is challenging to me, too. I'm not just laying this on thick like we're all, like you all are at fault and I have this all figured out. We are all in this circle of indifference together. It is so easy for us day to day, moment to moment, all in these circles of obedience, where the Lord can say, How do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? And then you affect people with the indifference. And, we, and what are we showing not only other Christians, but even the believers or uh, non believers around us how we believe? And if we don't care about what we say we follow, if we, if we live life saying that we praise and worship the God of the universe that gave Himself for our sins, But we don't live our lives in a way that show that we believe that. I I read a book one time that called that practical practical atheism, that we say we believe something, but the way we live says something completely opposite. That we say we believe Christ, but we live like we don't. You know, if, if we're not even excited, if we're not even passionate, if we're not even committed, why would anyone else ever want to be a part of that? Especially because... Prosperity gospel is non-existent, is not a real thing. And so when people come into Christianity, it's, it's difficult. I mean, the Bible tells us, expect difficulties, expect trials, expect troubles. And so if we're not joy, finding joy, if we're not finding a joy in our obedience and worship and praising God in the midst of what we do, how could we ever expect anyone else to want to be a part of what we say defines our life? That if I truly believe that there is a Jesus that, that, that saved me and that sits at the right hand of God making intercession for me in my failures, why does my life not live lived out like that? Because in reality, when our life isn't lived out that way, not only are we scattering, but we are weakening the effects of the gospel on the people around us. We're weakening the effects of the gospel. And so for us... You know, to understand whether it's defiance or indifference, which living in a, in a community like ours where there's over 30 churches and there's, you know, churches involved with stuff in schools and all these different things. The biggest problem, which defiance is, is there, but it's mostly indifference. It's mostly that we're just indifferent to it. We, we do our thing, we come, we show up, we sing songs, we leave, and, and it just it doesn't affect our life in a way that is magnetic. It doesn't affect our life in a way that is gathering, but it affects our life in a way where people see it from the outside and they say, well, that person says they're a Christian, but there is zero joy on their face. There is zero commitment. There is zero uh, verbal uh, communication about what they truly believe. I've never heard them say it. I've never heard them have that conversation uh, or, or even share that conversation with me. So it must not be that big of a deal. It must not be that important. It must not be that joyous. And so what God calls us to do, and what, what Jesus is telling them here is that, that if you're not with me, you're against me, which would be the defiance. But if you're not gathering with me, then you're scattering, which scattering, which would be the indifference. And so he calls us to understand that not choosing is choosing to be against him. That there is no fence, there is no middle ground. And so as he calls us from this middle ground, he calls us to be gatherers. He calls us to be gathering. And so the second thing this morning we're going to talk about is the gathering. What does gathering look like? How can we begin to step into a Christian life that gathers? You know, and so we as Christians, if you are a believer, you are not made for the middle ground. We are not made to ride the fence. We are made to be involved and participating. Galatians 6, 5. It says, for each will have to bear his own load. For each will have to bear his own load. There is a work for us as believers to do not to earn our salvation, but to participate in light of our salvation and to draw other people, to gather other people into that. We are called to participate in the gathering and not contribute to the scattering. So the word to gather, it means to draw together, to assemble, to collect, to unite those previously separated and gather, or even gathering by a calling or a summoning. Proverbs 10:5, it says, "He who gathers in summer is a wise son, and he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame." So listen, he, he says that we are wise when we are gathering. when we are stepping in in check with what He's called us to, we are, we are wise and that we are doing the work that He's created us to do, and that we are walking in that. And so why, how, why do we gather? Why, why do we gather people? Why do we, we reach around and, and be magnetic and draw people? Not to us, but to Christ. Why do we gather? And I have four things and I, and I made them all with P's so they'd be easy to remember. Alliteration for me is just easier to remember. And so I made them four things that we can know why we gather. And the first thing, the re, first reason why we gather is to participate. To participate in the calling that God has made in a believer's life. Matthew 4.19, he says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. In the Great Commission, he says, Go therefore and make disciples. That he's called us from the beginning of our walk to the end of our walk to be gathering people to himself. To be gathering people. And then I love this in Matthew 13.47, he says, Again, the kingdom of God is like a net that is thrown out into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. The kingdom of God is a diverse kingdom that is broken by race and ethnicity and culture and all those things. And God says that the kingdom of God is like a net cast into the ocean, dragging in all these different kinds of fish. The kingdom of God is diverse, but it's unified in its diversity. And we get to participate in that. We get to transcend, transcend culture. We get to step above all of those things and be a part of a kingdom that is diverse and unified. And so when God calls us to gather, he is calling us to gather by participating, that we get to participate in the work of God by unifying a diverse kingdom of God. The second thing that we get to do, why we gather, is is to provide. It's to provide. Matthew 25, 35 through 40. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick. This is Jesus talking. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the King, Jesus, will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So Jesus says that as we provide for people around us, emotional, uh, physical, uh, uh, mental help, as we lean into people's lives and we love on people, it says that not only are we providing for them, but in providing for them, we are providing to the kingdom of God's work around us. That is, we reach out to those who are in need, that are hurting, and don't even think necessarily just of monetary need, but even emotional need, you know, just being there for people and helping people and loving people and encouraging people and being outside of ourselves. We talk about this over and over and over again. And, you know, when when the the greatest commandment that Jesus said is love God and love your neighbor, that's the type of things that are going to come up, is that we have to be externally focused, providing for people whatever that need is. So not only do we participate and provide, but we can protect. John 6.12, this is right after Jesus has has, has multiplied the loaves and the fishes and He's provided all these people with this. I believe there's so much more meaning to this than even we take away from it sometimes. But John 6.12, He says, And when they had eaten their fill, He told His disciples, (coughs) Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. That nothing may be lost, that no one may be forgotten, that nothing may be left behind, that God's intention, we're going to talk about it next week when we get into Zephaniah 3, but God's intention is to seek the lost, to seek the hurting, to seek those that need healing so that we can protect them, gather them together. And I love that. So uh, other translations would say, so that nothing may be wasted. You know, I had a, a student come to me one time, and, and I've probably told this story before, but I had a student come to me one time when I was doing student ministry and said that she truly believed that she was created to go to hell. That, that God just created me so that I would be separated from Him and go to hell. I truly believe that. And that just broke my heart that we would ever think that a moment, that, that, that any breath God breathed into our lungs is ever wasted. That He tells us to gather. To gather so that nothing may be lost, so that nothing may be wasted. So that we may be protected under the wing, under the stronghold, under the refuge of His glory and His goodness. And so we participate, we provide, we protect. And the last reason why we gather is to praise. Matthew eighteen twenty: For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That when we gather together and we feed off of each other and we encourage each other and we just begin worshiping and praising God that the presence of God is in that place and that it betters us to gather together And that does it make you a Christian to go to church? Absolutely not. But does it make you a better Christian to be in a local gathering of people, uh, a congregation of people with a like mind leaning in the same direction, praising the same God? Absolutely it does. You know, I was thinking this week about, you know, when you're you're barbecuing and you use charcoal. I don't use charcoal that much because I'm too lazy and I'm not that patient. But when you're barbecuing with charcoal, when you lay out the charcoal, do you spread it out to light it, to get it to heat up? Absolutely not. You pack it together. Right? Because as those coals heat up, they, they feed off of each other. They keep each other glowing. They keep each other hot. They keep each other warm. And so that's what we do as believers. When we are packed in here, gathered together. We feed off of each other. The flame that stirs me up, stirs you up. And we can work with each other and work towards the same goal together. And so we gather to praise God together and to feed each other in that. And so in the gathering, in the process of being a gatherer, what can I offer? You know, we ask ourselves, well, what can I do? You know, I I don't feel like I have this talent or this gift or this ability or this confidence to be able to do what it is that you're calling us to do, to gather the way that God calls us to gather. And I believe too often we overcomplicate the work of gathering, the work of the kingdom in our lives. In the same situation, but from Mark's perspective in Mark chapter 9, verse 41, he says this, for the, one, for the one who is not against us is for us. And for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. He says, if you would just give a cup of water to drink, This isn't some big grand, like grandiose, like you don't have to have the greatest vocal, the greatest speaking ability, the greatest talent. You don't have to have any of those things. He says, if you would just give a cup of water, then you're for us. If you would just love somebody next to you, share something that you have with someone next to you, whether it's encouragement or love or joy that God's given you. He says, it doesn't have to be grandiose. It doesn't have to be big. What can I offer as little as a cup of water? It's little as a cup of water. And the strength to do anything that we do, we, even we talked about last week, when we talked about warring to win, that the strength that we, at which we do the gathering is not even in my own strength, that as we submit ourselves to the work of the Spirit of God, that the strength to do those things comes from Him. 2 Timothy 2.1, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. That we are strengthened when we understand and rest in the grace that God's poured over us. This grace that we don't deserve or can't earn, He's poured it over us. And when we can stay connected to that grace, then I'm strengthened to gather. When I'm resting in grace, I have the strength to gather. And that's the only place we have to be reaching from that. 2 Timothy 4 17 through, through 18. It says, but the Lord stood by me. This is Paul talking. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles may hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, the reason we gather is because we were gathered. If you're a Christian this morning, you've been gathered. Like Paul says, he said, He saved me from the mouth of the lion. He strengthened me so that the message may be fully proclaimed to those who don't know it. That he given me, He's given, he saved me, He rescued me for a purpose. And God wants to do that same thing in all of our lives. He looks into our lives, He sees our brokenness, He sees our doubts, He sees our shames. And that's why in the beginning we talked about just be honest about where you're at and stop pretending like you think or do something different than you really do. Just be honest because God can work in our honesty. Our honesty is God's opportunity to do something within us. And so He calls us to, to be honest, to lay that out. And rest in His grace for our strength to gather and understand that we gather because He first gathered us. We love because He first loved us. And He's called us to that. And so in conclusion this morning, why does any of this matter? Why does it matter that we gather? Why does it matter that we not be scatterers? You know, and... and, Kind of the idea that came to my mind this week was, uh, was thinking about football. You know, and, and the sidelines in football, if you step on the line, you're out of bounds, right? Or if you're on the other side of the line, then you're out of the, out of the field of play. And a lot of reviews happen on the sidelines, right? Tons of reviews. That's, that's where they happen because it's, it's close. If they're right there, then it's close and they need to verify it. They need to, to validate it. And, and just this idea for me as we're talking about being, uh, being moving from the middle and we're talking about just really being, being committed and really being, uh, just laying ourselves out there, that I thought of this idea that, that I don't want there to have to be a review to validate my life to whether I was in or out of the state of play. I don't want to be near out of bounds. I don't want to be near out of the state of play. I want there to be no question that if I'm a Christian, that I love Jesus and I live for Jesus and I want other people to know that and I want other people to be a part of that. And I fell at that constantly. And and, you know, the reason why I fell at that most of the times when I do is just fear or or doubt in myself or, or, or confidence in what God's called me to or what He's equipped me for. And that's the same thing that happens to us if we're honest. The reason why we're not gathering the way that God has created us to is because we're afraid, because we're fearful, because we're, we're, we lack confidence in the strength of God's grace in our life and the fact that He's gathered us to gather. And so we live a lot of our, our, our time near the boundaries of being in or out of the state of play. And what I want to hope that we can be as a church is I hope that we can be people that do not need a review to validate where we stand. I want it to be confident. I want it to be clear. I want it to be known. I want it to be very, very clear. I want to participate in the gathering because the gather point is the place of God's blessing and protection. And that's in Christ Jesus. That's where we're gathering people to because I'm going to fail. I'm, 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 I'm broken as you are. We're all broken. And so the gather point can't be me. The gathering point has to be Christ. I just have to be a, a mode at which I, that gets people there. We have to participate in the gathering and not contribute to the scattering. Because remember, if we are living in the no man's land, if we're living there as an unbeliever, or we're living there as a Christian. If we're living there as an unbeliever, we're living there in defiance, or if we're living there as a Christian, we're living there as indifference. You know, in going back to the illustration of the no man's land, you know, the only people, like I said, the only people who would inhabit this place were those who were wounded, those who were dead, or those who were cowards. Because this was was a bad place to be. In the crossfire, where the chemicals would be, the, the most heavy. Usually the only people that would go to this place were people that, what they called them in World War I, were called stretcher bearers. That it would be two men, now we would just be commonly called an, a medic. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Heartbreak Ridge. It's kind of like that idea. Like they would run in the middle of this no man's land. This undefined area where the crossfire was happening. And most of the time they were very limited. They weren't armed very heavily. And they weren't even going in there to fight. They were running into this no man's land to rescue. They were going into this no man's land to rescue the wounded. They were going into this no man's land to collect the dead. They were going into this no man's land willingly with the most unprotected job strictly to save And for me, man, that just reminded me so much about what Christ has done for us. It's that Christ has run into the no man's land seeking us. His desire is to to hoist us up in our brokenness and our wounds and carry us out of that no man's land to contribute to the gathering and begin to walk in the fight that He's got for us. And just to to finish up these verses, verse 31 down to 32, he says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. You know, when we read something that says it's unforgiven, and it will never be forgiven, we get very afraid of what that means. Well, But I thought God forgives all sinners. I forgot, forgot thought God forgets everything. And what this passage of Scripture is telling us is that the only unforgivable sin is to reject the forgiveness that He offers. That to live our life in a way that we constantly rebuke, refute and reject the work the Spirit's trying to do in our life, He's trying to save us from the no man's land. He's trying to pull our dead carcass from the wreckage and revive it back to life. That the unforgivable sin is to go to the end of our life and to reject the forgiveness that he offers us. And so for us this morning, I want us to understand. You know, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings and without milestones. The beautiful thing that if we're here this morning as someone who has not placed their faith in Christ or as an unbeliever, then He has said that He has provided a way for us out of that no man's land. Even in our dead state, He has provided a way out of us because He is actively reaching into our lives, into the deadness, into the no man's land to rescue us out. And then as a Christian, if we're living in indifference in the no man's land, he is calling us out. He is rescuing us from that also. That He wants us to participate in the gathering and not contribute to the scattering, to be magnetic in the way that we live our life for Christ that brings people to Christ, not pushing people away from Christ, that there is no middle ground. That if you're not choosing to live for Christ, then you're choosing to live against Him. And that if, if, if we want to truly begin to experience the joy and the blessings of what it means to be a believer, that we'll begin to not only be with Him, but be with Him and gathering with Him, and not with Him and scattering through our indifference. And so that's my challenge for us this morning. As a church, I pray that we can be those who are gathering and not scattering, that we can be those who are allowing the life that Christ has given us to be externally visible, not for show, because there are plenty of people that do it for show. Do it it from a place of true understanding of, of the grace that God's poured out over us, That we're all broken, that we're all sinful, that we've all rejected God in some way, shape, or form. But even in our rejection, He's inviting us in. That He's running into that no man's land and He's seeking us out to rescue us, to heal us, to protect us, and to provide for us. So let's bow our heads this morning as we finish and and pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I pray this morning that we could be a church that is actively participating in the gathering of your people. God, that we would see the hurt and the needy around us. God, that we would share what you've done for us with those that are in desperate need. God, that we would see opportunities, that we would share who you are. God, that we would just simply be excited about who you are that we would live for you in a way that truly reflects who you are and what you've done for us, God, that we would not be indifferent, that we would not approach you in moderation, God, that we would just pour ourselves out before you and allow that to translate in the way that people see us live our lives because you're worthy of it. And God, because you saw us fit to save us, to rescue us from that no man's land, that dead, desolate, undefined area which Your Word tells us is against You and not in Your kingdom. God, so I pray that we would just rest in Your rescuing. God, that we would understand our need for a Savior and submit ourselves to that. God, if we're here this morning and they have not believed, God, I pray that they would just believe, that they would put their faith in you even if there's things they don't understand and things that they, they still doubt, that they would begin that process of God allowing you to mold them and reveal things to them. God, it says that you are the one that gives sight to the blind. You are the one that gives, uh, gives, gives hearing to the deaf. God, so I pray that, we, that they would allow themselves to do that. And God, as, if we're a believer here this morning and we've been living in indifference, God, we've made our home on the fence. God, that we would move from the middle, begin to be gathering with you, and be magnetic for your cause and for your kingdom. Father God, I love you. God, we thank you for these these times that we have together. God, I pray you bring us back together. God, I pray you bless us as a church. God, challenge us as a church, God, to be different. God, raise up leaders from within this group this morning. Raise up people passionate about your glory and your goodness. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys very much.